Oikos Podcast, Sustainability Conversations. Welcome to this podcast. I'm Melissa Pascal here with the Oikos Young Scholars Organizations Academy in Switzerland. Our guest today is Eliada Griffin L., um, professor at the University of Cape Town, South Africa. Thank you for joining us today. Um, Eliada, could you please tell us a little bit more about your background and your current research program? Sure. Um, so thanks so much. This has been a really wonderful time here in Oikos. Um, I'm a senior lecturer at the Graduate School of Business um, at the University of Cape Town in Cape Town, South Africa. Um, and also recently I've been appointed uh, to be one of the faculty members of the Bertha Center for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship. Um, I came there with a background in economic sociology, and so I particularly look at um, entrepreneurial development as facilitated by um, networked relationships. Um, So uh, currently, my research program primarily is looking at the structural embeddedness of South African micro-entrepreneurs, exploring how they are able to kind of transcend the assumed limitations of their size and resource constraints um, through the innovative ways by which they um, draw and integrate their their networks into their their business models and their value chains. And um, that recently has also kind of inspired two other spin-off um, projects under this research program of focusing on how social entrepreneurs also utilize their social networks and then how diasporic entrepreneurs, as in African entrepreneurs who live outside of their home country, but are launching entrepreneurial initiatives in their home country, um, how they use their transnational networks. So it has been a really interesting time at the DSV, a really great time actually, um, being part of a, uh, a community of faculty who seems to be really excited about the whole social innovation and um, business's role in social change <laughs> movement. Um, During your introductory presentation this week, I was really struck by um, the incredible uh, integration of your research with practice um, and some of the action learning things that you were doing. I was wondering if you could expand more on the direct practical impact that your research is having and and maybe tell us about the Cape Flats neighborhood a little bit of the work that you're doing there. (laughs) Direct practical impact we hope it to have. (laughs) As we were very much in uh, experimenting stages ourselves, but I think we're excited and really um, convinced about about the work. And we see where where it goes. Um, But right now, one of the major uh, kind of projects that I and um, a handful of some very close colleagues are involved in um, is called the Social Innovation Lab that is being run out of the Bertha Center. And um, I'm working closely with colleagues such as Warren Nielsen and Stephanie Giampolcaro, Ralph Hammond, Walter Batts, and Francois Bonici. And the, the idea behind it is um, that we are, we're, we're developing a social innovation paradigm, which we call a trans, transformative paradigm of social innovation, and then challenging our students to um, either practicalize or see manifestations of that paradigm within the context of South Africa as they participate in a social innovation process with local stakeholders, be it um, community organizations or community groups or corporations that are 
kind of intrigued or puzzled by being involved in the social innovative space or government. And so uh, currently, as, as, as I was sharing earlier this, this week, one of the organizations that we visited just a couple weeks ago was called Our Labs, um, run by Marlon Parker in Athlone, South Africa, um, which is in the Cape Flats. And um, just driven by the conviction that this area in South Africa, which was initially established as a result of the apartheid regime policy, where um, non-white citizens of South Africa were forced to leave the Cape Town center and then create communities outside of Cape Town, um, that then eventually evolved into different types of social vices, such as gangsterism and um, a drug use and so on and so forth, that the individuals of these communities who traditionally have been seen as excluded and poor and engaging in self-destructive activities, that actually they hold the seeds of innovation that are truly transformative within their community. And that's their whole slogan, that it is a collective innovation that transforms communities. And so we're excited, we were excited to see an example like this where um, individuals, they go through this rehabilitation program by which to get off drugs and by which to be encouraged to leave the, the uh, gangster-ridden life, but then also are then immersed into a very exciting, positive, affirmative community that is um, constantly encouraging them to identify their gift. And then to even be more daring in manifest, manifesting it in an entrepreneurial way. And then connected them to different corporations, program developers, or, or even finance by which to launch that enterprise. Um, and they're seeing how those entrepreneurial ideas birthed from the people of the community um, are really helping to enable other members of the community. Um, and so with our, the paradigm that we're developing around social innovation, that it should be co-creational, that it should be evolutionary, um, and the other tenets, it, it just, I think it, it excites us to see more and more and more of how embedded innovation is and to, um, to explore it further. That's really some fascinating work, and, um, and I, I think it's a very exciting project to be involved in. Um, we talked about this a little bit earlier this week, and uh, I was wondering if you could share with our wider audience uh, some advice on how we as scholars um, and PhD students can uh, better integrate practical relevance into our research programs. Mm. Definitely. Um, I, I, I'm definitely an, an academic who is driven by the conviction that as an academic community, we hold a really, really special position and in being able to um, articulate and share with the world um, ways of understanding the world that can inform policy, that can inform community development. And as I have been further, as I have come to further understand even during this week, it could be very difficult for some academic, for some academics depending upon the incentive structures or what is seen as value, as valuable within their universities. Um, but I, 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 I tell you, Melissa, like I'm still convinced. I'm still convinced in seeing other amazing academics do it. And um, the different ways by which I've seen them integrate their work into practice is, one, the formulation of the question itself, as are formulating that research question that is pr uh, perhaps provo provocative and theoretically appealing, but then also asking 
the questions to whom, what could be the consequence of any answer that comes from this question, and which audience outside of the academic audience could the answer to this question be interesting to. Um, also, I'm seeing academics, including myself, really try to feature either cases or uh, feature data that is coming from um, inter interesting or maybe unconventional sources. And so um, I have a wonderful colleague who does organizational behavior, and he um, and he's in the work of positive organizations and, you know, looks to understand what makes certain organizations really work and um, goes to some of the most disappealing um, schools, um, uh, community-based initiatives to try to, to theorize what is making them work. And now is running an organization um, or an initiative called Organization Unbound that could also, by which he's also practicalizing this insight in the cons consultation and work that he does with other organizations. Um, I do work with uh, micro-enterprises in South Africa and currently now are um, trying to, and because my work is around networks, um, trying to consider what type of networked tool that could be of use to either business development organizations or government agencies that are interested in business development um, so as to um, kind of help direct micro-entrepreneurs within South Africa into the type of networks and to connect with the type of relationships that they could find useful. You know, and, and so just the intrigue of the of the, the sample or the phenomenon or the source of data itself could also add interesting insight that could then be informed that could inform practice. I think the third thing is the ability to translate your work into towards different audiences. Um, we as academics have been where we've we've been fashioned and encouraged to articulate our work to academia, and that is exceptionally powerful. Um, I think we also have a great potential to articulate our work to um, other audiences as well, and to find the language or the images or the arguments that can um, make this research relevant to what they're doing. I have another amazing colleague who does a lot of work on food sustainability, and in addition to uh, food sustainability and mining sustainability practices. So he does a lot. He has many conversations with different um, mining conglomerates and corporations and companies throughout South Africa, including Anglo American, um, with the wine industry as well as how as to how they can sustain or how they can uphold sustainable practices. Um, yeah, I really think the opportunities. I think they're out there more than than Leah's academia, academia thinks, and I think they're there for the taking. <laughs> Well, that's very encouraging advice and very practical advice, so thank you very much. Um, just one final question for you. I was wondering what exactly motivated you to join us here in Switzerland this week, and what do you take away in the end from this academy? Oh, that's such a nice question. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, what motivated me? Uh, one, I really, really, really wanted to, I really wanted to be part of of a of a type of academic community where we're, where we are constructively building each other's intellectual expression of our work, um, being in the in the university, being in academia, I I I've really enjoyed it. I, I love it. I also realize that it's it's not always well. You know, it's 
your ideas sometimes are, are sometimes met with criticism before they're met with affirmation or before they're met with and uh, sometimes it could be daunting and like I've been told many times as a young academic you know you got to grow tough skin and, and I understand that but it's exciting to have that opportunity where the underlying culture of the space is to be open to be vulnerable to share and we will try our best to honor and um, respect that and I, I think when anyone is in that environment, not just you know someone who is aspiring to be a thought leader, but when anyone is in that environment, I think you see the best of them come out. And then it's, it creates this very synergistic, almost contagious space where we're all now excited and starting to be self-reflective. And um, we want to push the boundaries of our own work and our own ability. So when I learned a bit from, from uh, Yost at a conference prior, and then he invited me later, I'm like, really? Man, I feel like I don't know much, but I'll come with what I know and have gained so much um, in being part of the learning process of others and have appreciated so much others, even though they may not know, others being part of my learning process. Um, and then secondly, I think it's just really, really exciting to see just the un, what I think is just the unending um, power of curiosity within this field. Um, the students and participants here are asking such interesting questions. They're, they're linking such interesting concepts and trying to unravel such interesting phenomena. And I'm just sitting there like, gosh, that's so interesting. Wow. That's the way. And my mind goes to that would be, I can see the implications of that. You know, I can see the implications of that work. I can see the consequence of that work. And uh, I think, again, that it's, it's great to be a part of that because although we as academics didn't get, we as a faculty didn't get to present, it does push our own boundaries. It, it, it encourages us now to, to continue asking those provocative questions, not to sit in a rut um, just because we think we've found a place we're comfortable in. And what did I get from it? I told, I, I mentioned this to the participants last night. Um, it's like going to your grandmother's house and opening up the cupboard in her kitchen and then you see all like the best variety of cereals and candies and cakes that your own parents would never buy for you. And that's how, what I feel like this has been. Like as I look at the different methodological approaches and the different theories and it's like opening up this cupboard and seeing this great variety of, as nerdy as this may sound, but this great variety of just delicious theories and uh, methodologies and empirical bases that, oh, wow, I never would have considered using that myself. Like, thanks for exposing me to that. And um, it makes me realize that my convictions were true when I entered academia. There is creativity in it. Of course, there is rigidity, rigidity as well, but there is creativity. And I walk away with that cupboard, and that's exciting, as well as the wonderful people I've met here. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you took so much out of it. I think it's been inspiring for us all. Thank you for joining us today. This was a podcast with Eliada Griffin L. by Oikos International. More information on Oikos and the Young Scholars Academies can be found on our website at www.oikosinternational.org academic. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>